This episode is sponsored by the Learn Jazz Standards Inner Circle. If your goal is to level up your jazz playing this year and feel confident improvising over jazz standards, the Inner Circle has everything you need and more. With monthly jazz standard studies, a library of powerful courses, and a vibrant community of like-minded musicians, you're guaranteed to improve your playing every single month. Podcast listeners can get 50% off their first month when you go to ljsinnercircle.com. That's ljsinnercircle.com or find the link in the show notes. Now, on to today's episode. Learn Jazz Standards community, do I have a treat for you today. On the podcast, I have my good friend and phenomenal, phenomenal jazz pianist, Keelan Dimmick, on the show. And we're going to just dive in deep and have an inside look on his development as a musician, how he became so absolutely awesome. And this is a great episode, really fun conversation. I personally had a great time. I know you're going to dig it. There's so many lessons packed inside this conversation today. So get out your popcorn, grab your favorite beverage, sit back, relax, and let's jump right to it. Welcome to the LJS Podcast, where you get weekly jazz tips, interviews, stories, and advice for becoming a better jazz musician. And now your host, he's a jazz musician, author, and entrepreneur, Brent Bartstra. Hey, what's up, everybody? Brent here from LearnJazzStandards.com, which is a blog, a podcast, and videos geared towards helping you become a better jazz musician. Absolutely amped up for today's podcast episode. We haven't had a guest in a while, and Keelan uh, has had actually composed some incredible etudes for my new Jazz Blues Accelerator course, which at the time of this podcast coming out, it came out yesterday on Sunday, October the 6th. So uh, exciting stuff. If you haven't gone to the free masterclass and all that other good stuff, definitely go to uh, jazzbluesaccelerator.com. Check that out. Keelan did some phenomenal work with this course, and uh, so I'm really appreciative to him. And he was fresh on my mind as just someone who we need to talk to. We had him back in episode 50, but we need to get him on on again, and we just need to learn everything we can from Keelan. And Keelan just uh, opens up for his whole entire musical development today. So uh, definitely, definitely get locked in for the show. So much good stuff in here. I had such a good time. Uh, Go to KeelanDimmick.com to check him out. We talk a little bit more about it at the end, but Keelan is a phenomenal, phenomenal jazz musician. So if you don't know about him, if you aren't hip to him, KeelanDimmick.com. And without further ado, let's get on Keelan for our talk. All right, so welcoming on the show today is my good friend and phenomenal jazz pianist, Keelan Dimmick, uh, who has been with us on the show before, but we are having him back because he's brilliant and there's so much to learn. So Keelan, thanks for being on today. Thanks for having me, Brent. So, so stoked. So absolutely stoked. So we actually had you on episode 50. This That's, that's a long time ago. This is episode, I think it's 188 now. Uh, I should probably double check that. But we are, I mean, this was a long time ago. We had you talking about comping. It was a great episode. And I'm excited to have you back. We recently had you do some uh, uh, some killer blues etudes for the new Jazz Blues Accelerator course. They were so awesome, so great. You're fresh on my mind. Uh, for those, though, who don't really know who you are, give me like that one minute Keelan Dimmick bio just so people can get acquainted with you. Sure. So I'm a jazz pianist, as you mentioned, um, by profession, but I also, like many other musicians, do other things. So I do some teaching, and um, I have a master's degree from the University of Miami. Um, And I also have a couple entrepreneurial projects that uh, I'm excited about that are just kind of taking off. Yeah. And, and you, the thing about you too is, uh, you know, you're, you're kind of downplaying your, your success here. I mean, you travel, you, you gig around, uh, you have, uh, you know, ranked high in, in international competitions for piano. I mean, you're, you're the absolute real deal. And I think what a lot of people like to know about people like you, Keelan, who are just so successful, so, uh, great at their instrument have just reached this high level of mastery. You know, how did you do it? Uh, what what was the process like? Because a lot of times when we talk about becoming better jazz musicians or just musicians in general, it, it, you know, we, we see things in very small lenses here. We see someone so, who's so great, but we 
we don't really know the backstory of how they actually got there and the actual steps and things that were transformational in their journey. So I'm really excited to dive into this. I want to start from the very beginning with you. Let's go along this journey just for, from the time where you right. first found the piano. Like what what when was that first time and what were the things that really started to get you excited about the instrument? Okay, taking me way back. Um, yeah. So the, my first experience and exposure to the piano was when I was roughly five or six years old. And this, of course, was in Fairfield, Iowa, which is a small farm town um, in, in the middle of Iowa uh, where I grew up. And my sister started taking lessons with a local classical pianist um, named Werner Elmker. And then she would come home and after maybe playing for 15, 20 minutes and getting bored, she'd get up and I was... I just took somehow to the piano for whatever reason. Um, and just a little context, my parents are, are both neither musicians, um, and my sisters aren't really musicians. Um, my sister Annie likes to uh, interpret a dance and play guitar and a lot of instruments, but you know, not, not like, not like I, I do. So it's really kind of strange that I took it um, to where it is now in, in hindsight, but... So yeah, I, I I I would listen to her play, and then I'd really just go to the piano, and I'd I'd make up my own version of what I had just heard. So I'd start creating melodies, um, and I remember the first the first song that I would say in the jazz umbrella that I learned was uh, the Ray Charles hit um, "Hit the Road Jack." Yeah, and I think what was so interesting to me about that was, or what was so fun was just that the left hand was that, you know, dong, da dong, da dong, da da And then I could improvise on top of it. And, and the reason why I started improvising just so naturally um, is still a, a mystery to me. I don't know yeah. exactly why, but I, I kind of, the, the blues scale especially was ingrained in my mind um, at, even at that age with hardly any exposure. So... So it's interesting. It's interesting because you like the way you said you started like learning how to play the piano is already like sort of conditioned to like become an improviser or a jazz musician because you know you're learning stuff by ear right right away, right? Like because right. I mean a lot of people's stories like especially when it comes to piano um, is you know you you get hooked up with a teacher and there's like a method book. And then you go through like, you know, right. you play through the stuff and it's really re like reading music oriented. But, and tell me if I'm wrong, but it doesn't sound like mm -hmm. that was necessarily like the start of your training there. No, you're right. It, it wasn't. I, I actually didn't start reading music until way later in my musical career. Right. Um, yeah. Which yeah. we'll get to that because I actually know a little <laughs> bit about this too. So <laughs> I yeah. can actually relate to it too. Um, we both had the same teacher. So, um, but, but, and if, yeah. by the way, I, if no one knows this already, um, uh, I probably should have said me and Keelan like went to school together. So uh, we high school together for, for a little bit. So we know each other. And then we, we both grew up in Boise, Idaho. And then we, uh, we moved to New York and that's where we both reside today. New York city, baby. Oh, so, yeah. yeah. And so, um, yeah. Okay, great. So, so you started, you started with that. You started, um, just learning stuff by ear. Uh, you, you learned that Ray Charles song, um, kind of what, what were the next steps there? Did, did your parents like start sending you to lessons? Like what, what, what were the things that you really started to do? Cause obviously you, you liked the piano, you were starting to learn mm -hmm. stuff and getting into it. What, what was kind of the, the next step there in your journey? Mm -hmm. Well, what happened was I, I formed a band with a couple of my friends from, from fair. This is still in, in Fairfoot, Iowa. And like Brent said, you know, we we're both from Boise, but I moved to Boise when I was 13, so I'm kind of from Iowa and Idaho, mm -hmm. which is which are two states that are um, mistakenly thought of as the same many times. Now, I would say 90% of the you're time. You're from so. Iowa? No, no, I'm from Idaho, man. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They, they mess it up, but I've lived in both, so it's like they can't mess it up. I just need to get Ohio, and then I have all three. So uh, I started a band called the Zookeepers in Iowa, and we ended up performing you know at our school and um and we just wrote a couple tracks and that was like the first real uh introduction to to playing with other musicians um that i had and that was really exciting because we had a little recording uh, we made an album with a couple local guys older musicians you know who kind of like uh mentored us into that whole scene and then it wasn't until i was about 
12 that I took lessons with Werner Umpker, that guy who I mentioned earlier, who my sister took from, mm. um, for about a year of, and that was classical music. And mm. then before moving to Boise and meeting Justin, who you just mentioned, our, our, um, our mentor, shared our, mentor. Our, our original jazz, well, my original jazz mentor personally. Um, but yeah, so, so you really, for a long time, you're kind of just on your own, like just exploring it out of your own curiosity and you started a band. Why did you name your band the Zookeepers? <laughs> <laughs> that's, a good, that's a good question. I, I remember um, sitting, sitting on, on the stairs with, with Sean and Jordan, my two best friends from childhood, and we just were coming up with the most random out names. And at one point, we just decided to call it Zookeepers, and then we wrote a theme song. We are the zookeepers. That's who we are. Something like that. <laughs> and then, Hell yeah, man. <laughs> yeah, it's like a punk rock, like kind of. A, oh, is punk rock? I would say. I would say it falls in the, under the umbrella. Yeah, punk rock, indie so, rock. Were you still? So were you still like exploring jazz at that point, or were you just all punk rock? No piano, zero jazz. <laughs> I mean, there was composition. So in a way, you know, there was. I, I think that. That has to do with jazz, but oh, was, I think that has a lot to do with jazz. Yeah, yeah, you know whether it's triads or altered, you know, seventh chords with omitting and natural, whatever. It's all the same kind of thing. Um, so, but no, it wasn't. It wasn't until I met Justin, uh, our mentor in Boise, that I really uh, took to jazz. Cool. So you moved. So, so that you 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 were in Iowa till you're 13. You had your band, the Zookeepers, <laughs> which you're playing punk rock yeah. piano. Never heard of that before, but that's yeah. that's cool. And I still remember the first song that I wrote in it. Yeah, yeah. I'm not going to share it with you. But oh, okay. I just wanted <laughs> right. to tell you that. All right. Well, you look the way you looked at me. See, uh, we're actually on Skype right now. So the way you looked at me was like you were going to show me, <laughs> but then you you didn't. <laughs> the, 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 clearly not. Um, so. <laughs> So then you so you moved to to Boise to Boise Idaho, which is which is which is where uh, where we met. But you did you get connected r- right away with uh, Justin? And Justin, by the way, like we mentioned that he was like kind of my original jazz mentor. Um, I actually had him on the show for episode one hundred quite a while ago, um, which was really cool, um, really impactful in, in my life. I know Keelan's life too. So let's talk a little bit about that. So hmm. did you did you get connected with him right away, or how did that come about? Yeah, well. I'm constantly trying to to f- figure out you know what I can say that will will help um, you know learning musicians along the way as opposed yeah. to just kind of giving a, a bio. But sure, yeah, um, sure. You know, but but yeah. So I I met Justin. Uh, I would say within the first year that I moved to Boise, and and the way we met was was kind of funny because I, I I would get in trouble in uh, middle school. It was it was my eighth grade year, so it was my last year of middle school. And I didn't know what I was doing. It was the first time I was with, with girls in the same classroom, you know, because I came from a private school in Iowa where it was, like, segregated boys and girls. So I was just, like, staring at girls, basically, for every class. And I was getting Ds. <laughs> I was, like, flunking out. Um, and anyway, I was trying to – I was a class clown. And so I'd go to the vice principal's office daily, I would say, or every other day. And I got to, to meet this guy named Chris Hazel, who was the vice president of my middle school. And he knew Justin. He was kind of an amateur musician. Mm. Um, and he hooked me up with Justin, who then uh, saw that I had a natural kind of um, ability to improvise. And it was a perfect fit, you know, you know, because Justin is someone who he's a special teacher. I mean, oh, he's, yeah. he's someone who doesn't doesn't do the conventional methodology you know methodology <laughs> he, he yeah. would he basically would show you what to do and you you learn it almost like a religion like you don't even have to question you just you do what he tells you and then later on you i think you know the intellectual aspect of it comes comes in later yeah i agree and, and just to like bring something home here in last episode um i shared sort of three Three elements of what really were transformational in in my musicianship, but really the three things that I think really helped me grow as a musician. 
uh, as a jazz musician specifically as well. And two two of them I feel like you've already mentioned. One of them is community, and the other one is a mentor. So community, I mean, you're talking about even with your band, the Zookeepers, and that was the same for me. I had a band in high school, and I played with bands, and I did all sorts of things. And having that community of other musicians, right, where they were challenging you and you were trying to do things together and communicate, that that helps you grow. So that started for you right away. And I think that's instinctual for, for all musicians, but it's so important to be around those other people that are that are trying to do what you're doing and, and, and sharing music together. That's going to really help your growth. Mm-hmm. And now we're talking about mentors. Um, and and men- mentorship is, is hugely important. Maybe you can talk a little bit, you talked a little bit about how Justin would teach, but talk about like what what were the big moments of growth in studying with with Justin? So Justin, I think his and I think he would agree with me today. Um, I don't want to speak for him, of course, but uh, he believes that you know having a student be inspired and stay inspired is the most important thing, right? Mm-hmm. Above above all else, being inspired is the most important thing. So yeah. he would he would go way out of his way to make sure that. Um, myself and his other students would get exposed to live performances. Um, and it wasn't just like, you know, some local, you know, washed up jazz musicians or something in Boise. It was, it was like he, he would, you <laughs> no know. offense to the jazz musicians in Boise. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> yeah, no, 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 in particular. But so he would, you know, he would drive us miles and miles away. Um, I'm, I'm mentioning Leno Hampton. I mean, I, I want to mention that because that's yeah. probably the, the main one. Um, these these places where we could hear um, Benny Green and John Clayton and yeah. Monty Alexander and musicians who to this day I listen to to get um, refilled, you know, f- for creativity and joy. And I think seeing that as a young age and also just really loving um, swing was those two things together was what was the most beneficial for me. Yeah. Um, as a musician, and then also getting to perform. So Lionel Hampton wasn't, I guess for people who don't know, it's, it's the, the largest international jazz competition um, in the world, and it's, and it's for schools, basically. And so you can compete as a soloist, or you compete in an ensemble. And I, I won it a couple times. Um, I remember that, yeah. I, I won it when I was like 14, and then I think again when I was 16. And so both of those experiences allowed me to perform in front of like 2,000 people. You know, yeah, and that man, that should. I mean, at the end of that, I just I realized, okay, I'm I'm set now. Like jazz was, it became more of like it wasn't a passion. It was like became my life. You know, I couldn't even think. And up until my you know towards the end of my undergraduate degree, it, it that was it. It was like that was the only thing I could do in life, and there was no other distraction, and that's it. <clears throat> so. Yeah, one of my first like memories of you uh, is um, well, I I joined this uh, the school that uh, Justin, our mentor, had has essentially started uh, during my senior year of high school, and uh, it's almost like a jazz cult. <laughs> it's like a it's like kind of like a jazz like Justin and his uh, jazz young jazz disciples, um, but. Uh, I met you. Um, well, one of the early memories I have is you being like, "Yeah, man, I just uh, transcribed all this Duke Ellington thing, and he was doing this with his left hand." And I'm and and that 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 for me was was new. You know, that for me of like someone who was just so like literally obsessing over. The de- like for me, transcribing and learning solos was kind mm-hmm. of it wasn't completely foreign, but it was newer. And right. you were already deep in that because you've been studying with Justin for a long time, and that's a big thing with him: learning stuff by ear, learning right. you know solos, learning tunes by ear, all that stuff. Right? Um, mm-hmm. Which which I still believe today, and I still preach. Uh, everybody who who knows my podcast, YouTube, and all my courses know that that's what I'm all about. Right? So, what what impacted did that have just starting to because you already had that background when you were learning from the very beginning as you shared what impact mm-hmm. did that have just working on this stuff by ear and just really getting serious about learning what duke was playing or what benny was playing or other musicians um so you're like you're asking kind of like what specifically within transcribing 
sure. is, is beneficial kind of. And I, well, I think it's, well, how did it affect you? Like, how did it, how did it affect me? Well, it's, uh, maybe better musician, but it also, it, it taught me the language of the music. Yes. You know, I mean, that's the whole purpose of transcribing in my opinion is that jazz. I mean, I always say this analogy, but jazz, I always think of, of the language of jazz similar to, or not so, um, dissimilar to the language of, you know, of English. And when a baby is born, um, he doesn't, or she doesn't read books <laughs> to learn how to speak English. You know, they, they just absorb what their parents are doing and speaking. Right. And they, and it's, and, and, and this is a big key point actually, is that they don't just pick up the words themselves, which is kind of what books give you, right? They pick up subtleties that, that you can't get from books, like inflections and movements that go along with those words. And all these specific subtle things that um, when you transcribe and you actually learn by ear uh, and memorize, you, you get, you know? And that, to me, is, is the most important thing because that's what keeps the music... Um, not watered down, you know, and, and it keeps it full, of, not necessarily watered down, but it keeps it full of life because life is in the details, you know, those specific little things that you can't, yeah. it's hard to even analyze, you know. Yeah. And I always, I always get mad when I think about how, you know, Charlie Parker would, would play a concert or something and then analysts would, at the end of it, would say like, oh, it was so amazing because of this. And they would start, they'd have to come up with some reason as to why it was great because then the problem with that is then a student or someone who's interested in jazz will listen to that analyst and then try to copy what the analyst is talking about, as opposed to just listening to Bird, Charlie Parker, and learning directly from him what was happening, just simply by ear, you know? Right. And, and the truth is, if you don't want to spend the time to learn it by ear, then I, I, would, I would suggest to, you know, reconsider becoming a jazz musician, because this music is really a specific type of it's a specific type of sound, and it and it has a specific language that you you have to really know to be called a jazz musician. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and when we talk about like improvising, like right now we're talking to each other, and honestly, we, we had we had a very loose. This is actually one of the more looser plan episodes that. Uh, <laughs> so like you know, a lot of this we're just improvising right now. You know, we, you know, we have an idea of what we want to talk about, but we're just improvising right now, uh, and. And in it's order what we to do imp- best, right? <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> and, and in order to improvise, right, we we obviously have to be so familiar with that language. And like you said, the only way, the only way we can start talking with each other effectively is to just constantly be analyzing and listening. Like if I want to have a conversation with a dentist, I don't know why I'm saying a dentist <laughs> with a dentist. Like I have to, I'm not going to, I'm not going to be able to hang with that dentist. If they're they're talking to me about all this stuff about, you know, what they're doing with the teeth and all this stuff, I I don't know what they're talking about because I have, I have to learn that language. Right. And, and it's, you just know how it feels. You don't know. Yeah. Yeah. And so what you said was really heavy and it's really powerful and and not everybody likes to hear it. Um, just because I know there are some people in my audience that, that Mm -hmm. don't like this answer, but I, Mm -hmm. I do agree with you. If you aren't willing to learn things by ear, I wouldn't say that you shouldn't try to be a jazz musician or or even if it's not being jazz, if you just want to play some jazz, that, and that's totally fine. That's, that's totally fine. But if you want to go deep and get good and be able to go up to a jam session or a gig and just feel good, then you have to learn things by ear. Um, so it sounds like that was powerful for you. Yeah. Yeah, and, and and excuse me for being intense. You know, I didn't get much sleep last night, so I think I'm a little more on edge today. But <laughs> normally, normally I'm, no, that's I have okay. a sweeter tone. But um, no, no, no. I want you to be angry. That's I mean, important. you're the only one that is still angry that analysts said things right. about birds playing. I mean, you're the right. only one on this planet. Probably no, nah, you're probably not the only one. But <laughs> you're one of the the, the few. So um, yeah. yeah, that's fine. <laughs> I just I well the thing is it, it kind of branches into into bigger things it's just when people when there's some beauty in the world that's that's somewhat um, you know intangible yeah and when people try to analyze it they immediately put it in these boxes that their their mind can comprehend fully which means that you're automatically by that you're losing that intangibility which makes things beautiful 
I think. And so yeah. that's that's what that's my point. It's just yeah. some things are left to just be absorbed in a very simple and natural way, as opposed to be, you know, yeah. learned through yeah, figuring it out. And that and that, in my opinion, is one of like the challenges of teaching music, but spe- especially jazz, is that there is such there's so much that is intangible, and. I understand the the chord scale theory and the, and the value of that, and I understand you know people wanting to learn licks and ideas, and and all that stuff is good to me. Um, but those in and of themselves are are they are simply just quick fixes or um, little ways to help your brain think about something differently. It's not really the the full picture. Um, that's why in all of this all of the stuff that I teach. Um, my courses, my books, and stuff. There's always the heaviest, the heavy emphasis on process and heavy emphasis on uh, learning material by ear. The heavy process uh, emphasis on taking information and recycling it, not just here's a new hack, here's a new hack, here's a new hack, <laughs> right? Because right. that's that's exactly what you're talking about. It's that right. that stuff right. is just you know so, like a side story mm-hmm. to what's really happening with the music. Um, yep. So but the right. good news is, but, yeah. but let me just say this. But the good news is that with those hacks, at a certain point, even if you go in that route or I mean in that direction, you'll if it's fulfilling, you'll keep digging and you'll get deeper naturally. If, yeah. if you if you that's love it. true, you know which which goes back to what you were saying about Justin that his main mm-hmm. thing was all about uh, inspiration, and that that's something that he is genius at. He like he knows how to inspire students he knows how to give them something to be like quick that that was a good win i feel good about this let's keep going and then the more you get sucked in then you just become a uh you know an absolutely obsessed like you know i used to practice like six to eight hours a day and you know back back when i had more time on my hands (laughs) yeah for all you listeners brent brent um was uh one of what would you what would you call like uh an avid shedder, I guess you could say that. <laughs> yeah, I, I feel like I would come in the morning, like seven a.m., and you'd already be in like the little like uh, what was it called? Like the shed, just like in there with like there was it was an actual shed, sweating like, like it was an actual shed. Yeah, there was like the property of this school was uh, they hadn't built a school yet, so it was really just a bunch of portables, and then right. it was like on, on the property of of someone's house. Am I right? <laughs> right. Uh, yeah, Ken and Mary's, I think. Yeah, yeah and then there was just like this shed and that was converted <laughs> into a practice room and I was in that shed <laughs> practicing. Yeah. Uh, you know, I was trying to catch up to everybody. Um, anyways. <laughs> it was magical. It was really a magical time. People people think of it like that, Arts West, the school that he made. Yeah. Uh, like this special moment, you know. Yeah, there's, cool. yeah, yeah. <clears throat> Not yeah, exactly. not normal, not normal. <laughs> it, definitely not normal. All right, anyway. so cool. So, um, what are some other big takeaways during like this period before we move on? Maybe next into the timeline of your your training. Mm-hmm. Um, some more things from this period. Well, so so we talked about going out and being exposed to music and practicing trans, you know, mainly transcribing and learning repertoire. That's that's a close number two for me with yeah. with the transcribing, right? Learning learning the repertoire, um, jazz's repertoire. Um, We're not moving on until you come up with at least one more. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Well, well, you, we already mentioned community. You know the Zookeepers and your your little punk band back in um, high school. So community, you know, being at Arts West, which is this private art school that our teacher Justin started, um, I think was was also a big um, benefactor because it it contributed to group playing, ensemble playing, and you know I was just talking to actually a friend of mine, Benny Benack, last night, who I, mm-hmm. I think a lot of the jazz your your listeners probably know. Um, He's kind of all over uh, social media. <clears throat> so he, you know, we were just talking about um, uh, how it's it's not enough to just practice on your own in your apartment. You know, you really have to go out and and play with other people yeah. if you if you want to get good, you know, and keep your chops up. And that's that was a good reminder for me. I think he was kind of directing that to me because sometimes I'll I'll just be lazy and I'll I'll refuse to go out and and sit in you know at, at smoke or or smalls or whatever because these clubs in New York because I just 
and like I said, feeling lazy. But that's that's another part of it, you know, going out and and trying to be a part of the the community. And it doesn't mean you got to hang until four in the morning. You know, that's like the old the old story. It's like every night you got to. But it just means that you got to put yourself out there. I think that's a, that's the only that only happens by the way in New York. Everybody else is like, what four in the morning? Who stays up to four right. in the morning? <laughs> right. There yeah. there are jam sessions like multiple multiple every single night. They go till they like start at like one o'clock in the morning and then they go to yeah. four. Didn't you, you used to play um, Fat Cat, right? You guys would start yeah. at like midnight. That was pretty Yeah, well, late. we didn't play the jam session. We played the set before that. Yeah, I oh, did that for right. five and a half years. <laughs> wow. Um, it was fun. Yeah. Good Gone times. On. So you, let's move on. Let's move. So you uh, ended up going to Manhattan School of Music in New York City. Right. Mm-hmm. Tell Just me, got good enough to make it into MSM. Yeah. What? So tell me about that. So that was a huge wake up because um, I couldn't read music still, practically speaking, and mm-hmm. people were throwing you know original compositions in front of me, and that was the one thing about Justin was that was funny is he he really didn't care too much about technique um, or or reading. I mean, I, because he knew that those were things that you could just figure out later, you know. Yeah. Um, not to me- not to say that he doesn't care about. Obviously, he knows the the practical yeah. value of him. But so that was the hardest thing for me was going to MS when I went to MSM was having to sight read and just feel humiliated like every day, um, <laughs> or like when we you know, I was in theory class and and the teacher Chris Rosenberg would would who you know I think right the uh, no, guitar teacher at MSM he would uh, you know put some classical stuff in front of me like these little. Bach, you know, corrals or inventions and be like, hey, can you, can you just sight read this for the class just to give examples? And I would just fold, you know, and it was so humiliating. Um, so that was the worst part about MSM. Now, the best parts about it were, of course, meeting some of my best friends to this day and some of the best jazz musicians in the world, really, um, who I, I travel the world with. You know, I just went to China with, with Benny and mm-hmm. we're going back there in February mm-hmm. um, and then we're going to Japan. And we just got back from San Francisco a few weeks ago for, for a week at Black Hat. So, you know, hanging out with people like that and, and connecting with musicians like him um, was the, 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 most, the best thing I got out of going to school, I would say. Yeah, um, which goes back, back to community. So having those musicians right. to just push you and, and, and take you to new levels. Um, mm-hmm. And I know that for, for me, too, was a big thing moving to New York. I wasn't going to Manhattan School of Music, but I, I was surrounded. Well, first of all, you're just automatically surrounded by a lot of good musicians, right? And even for, for those listening, if you're not in a place that just has a lot of great musicians, you have to go look. Look for those places where there are even just one other person to jam with who's, who's better than you. Because that's really where, for me, a lot of the growth came. You know, I felt like actually a lot of my journey in jazz was very much so like, you know, trying to play catch up for lack of better terms, you know, coming in and there's, you know, all of you guys are like already just blowing crazy lines over the blues and I'm still stuck in minor pentatonic land. And then, okay, well, what are these guys doing? Right. And then moving, then I went to Seattle for a year and like people were doing things over there. And then I moved to New York and wow, you know, you know, smaller fish, but you know, all those things are just learning experiences where you get to, you know, you get humiliated, right? You get like, you're just saying you have this humiliation and maybe it doesn't feel good, but then you go, Oh, wait a second. I got to learn how to read music a little better. Yeah. Clearly that's something that that's being called upon me to do. And then you, mm-hmm. and then that helps you grow. Otherwise you would never have learned how to read music, you know, yeah. or you never would have started, you know, composing the songs that you're composing, right? You just have to, you have to have mm-hmm. those moments of, ins- of, of challenge, of inspiration yep. from others. Yep. Yeah. And if you like, you live in some small town in Hawaii, you're probably less likely to get motivated from outside sources than if you were to live in New York City, you know, or maybe even Los Angeles or something like that. So <clears throat> I think that's another thing to, to consider. It's like, how serious are you? And are you willing to move to New York right now? <laughs> but, I think uh, most people listening are, are, are not going to do that. You know? yeah, <laughs> and, you, right, and you don't right. have to do that. Of course. Um, I'm just kidding. Um, so anyway, back to MSM. And then, of course, just the education. And I met I met um, Gary Dial, who is a very famous um, piano instructor in New York City, and really all over. He's he's from New Jersey, um, and he studied with the famous Charlie Charles Bonacus Charlie Bonacus, mm-hmm. um, who passed away. And I remember it was really hard for Gary for a few months. I was in school when it happened, 
And he, you know, Charlie Banakis started this whole, um, this very, very linear way of, and methodical way of going about learning jazz Mm -hmm. um, in conjunction with transcribing. But, and so I learned a lot of that from Gary, which was great because Justin was the opposite. You know, Justin was like, you just learn it by ear and that's, that's it. And Gary was like, all right, let's learn some drop twos, buddy, you know, or, you know, drop threes, whatever. Drop tens. Uh, the technical sides of, of stuff. Yeah. And it's like if I, I would go in there and I'd, I'd, I'd say, man, you know, I, I just went out and I heard whatever this cat playing this. And, like, I, I thought it was so cool. And I transcribed it. And, like, it's just this one thing right here. I'm like, but how can I play it? And, you know, how can I actually move it up or do this? And he would always have some type of, you know, he'd write on my, my little notebook um, exercises right then and there in black ink. Just, like, do this. Mm-hmm. And then yeah. I would just do it, you know. Um, I remember a couple of them. Like one in particular was really awesome. It was like for any quality, um, you can start on any note in the scale. So let's take, let's say like C minor 7, you know, so C Dorian, right? Mm-hmm. Any note of the scale, C, D, E flat, F, G, A, B flat, C. Um, and there's he had a specific chord for each note, melody note on top. Mm. Um, and then based on that, you could just change one note and then it would become like the, like the five to the flat five, like a half diminished, you know, Mm -hmm. or you make it um, a natural three and then it becomes a dominant chord as opposed Mm -hmm. to a minor chord. So he like, he got my, my muscle memory really, um, he strengthened my muscle memory, I guess, for, for playing voicings and being comfortable in any key. Um, And that, that's a big part of jazz, right? Because you go on stage or you're reading someone's chart and or a standard, and you, you you don't have time to just play whatever you you want, you know. And you can't think about every C major seven chord and be like, "What's the perfect thing here?" You know. In <laughs> fact, I think the more you think about it, the the worse it gets. The worse it gets, you know. Yeah. So muscle memory is a big part of that. But yeah. So it sounds like it sounds like there's a great balance actually in your education. First, you have a teacher that's just all about that learning by ear side and getting all that in. And then you have a teacher that very much so is about, you know, making sure you're proficient on your instrument, making sure that right. you know how to get around everywhere, which is like hugely important technique, mm-hmm. being able to explore your instrument, being able to know um, what's actually going on, you know, being able right. to, to, to kind of um, put the caption underneath mm-hmm. the music that you're playing. Um, mm-hmm. So that, yeah. that, that sounds like that was big transformation. Um, so, so yeah. Eventually, you move on to uh, you went to Miami, <clears throat> Frost School of Music, right? Oh no, uh-huh. you went somewhere else in Florida. I did actually. I went to so I Cal broke Arts. my hand, yeah, and then I went to Cal Arts for a year, and then uh, in when I auditioned for Cal Arts, I also auditioned for Frost School of Music in Miami, but Cal Arts gave me more money, so I went to Cal Arts for a year, and halfway through the year, Martin Bejarano, the piano teacher at UM. Um, the head of the piano department reached out to me and asked if I wanted to be the teacher's assistant for the wow. following year, <clears throat> and that was huge for me because I I was just hoping to get some money to go to Miami. You know, half scholarship I would have gone, um, but I waited a little bit longer. It's like makes me think like good things can take time. You know? Yeah, they do. Um, yeah. And so so uh, not that Cal Arts wasn't great, but it was just I, I really wanted to go to Miami, and so then I had a, a stipend and a full scholarship, um, just you know in in exchange for me to teach a little bit, I taught maybe four students a semester, and TA, you know, advised a couple classes, whatever. Um, so in Miami, that was a whole new experience. But yeah, yeah, I went to Miami. What were some of your big takeaways from 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 doing that? Like, was there something that you learned, or something that was a big breakthrough for you during that period that you weren't experiencing at uh, Manhattan School of Music that you weren't experiencing elsewhere? There was, actually, to, to make me even more of a balanced musician. So at MSM, I, I had a lot of experience playing in ensembles, um, small group mm-hmm. ensembles. That's, you know, underlined. And when I went to UM, <clears throat> it was like the big band world, you know. Oh, okay. Um, so I got exposed to, I, I was playing in, in uh, SJB, Studio Jazz Band, which is like the like uh, second to varsity big band the first year. It's a two-year program. Mm-hmm. And the second year, I was in CJB, Concert Jazz Band, which is the main big band. And in those bands, you know, we're playing music from Maria Schneider to, like, 
Bulvarian blues music, you know, hmm. in, in like, what was it, like 33, 16, and things like that. And so I led by John Diversa um, from L.A. And so I got really used to playing in a big band, and that was huge for me because, like I mentioned before, reading has never been a strong suit of mine. So to be in a big band, that was really helpful and in making me feel more confident and yeah. kind of bulletproof in general as a musician. However, my reading is still pretty weak, I would say. <laughs> despite all that. Still yeah, not doing so, great. so is mine. I, I got I got a lot better. Like I got yeah. a lot better. Like you know, you know what made uh, me better? Um, I studied with like, Vic, Jur- Vic Juris for a little bit, um, mm-hmm. and he was a totally different ty- type of teacher as well. Sort of similar to you, like you know, to- like totally different mm-hmm. um, from what I was used to. And he uh, that was at Cornish, right? No, no, no. That's uh, that was uh, that oh, was here in New College. York. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, I would go out to his place in Jersey and like, you know, once a week and take lessons. And he would just like, <laughs> okay, I specifically remember we did this lesson where like he put like a sheet of like, he's like, you know, what, let's do some, some sight reading today. I'm just like, oh my God. <laughs> and so we, we, he, he like, we, we go through, like, and Vic was a nice guy. I'm not, I'm not like, like, no one get, get me wrong here. Vic was a very, is a very sweet guy, but he, he put this piece of sheet music in front of me and, you know, He'd be like, you take the melody. And I, so I would just totally screw it up. And, and like after we're done the piece, it was just sort of like he would just let silence linger for a little while. So we both uh-huh. just sort of sat in silence and he's like, okay. And then he put up like the Ooh. next one. And then, yeah, and like we literally did that for the whole lesson. And, and at the end, like I was literally just like, I was, I was feeling like, like about to cry. And he's like, oh, Brent, it's okay, man. buddy. It's okay. And, like, I'm just, <laughs> <laughs> oh, and so he like kind of, Kind of uh, help. Like, he just gave me a lot of music to start reading, like you know Brazilian choros and all yeah. kinds of some classical stuff. And so I got better, but you know then I stopped yeah. working Man, on it's, my reading. So it's, it's funny because it's like, what's better, you know, to do something that you love in, when you're practicing, so that you just do it for hours and hours and get really deep into it, or just focus on your weaknesses, you know, oh, and, yeah. and, and put an emphasis on that. And I. I don't know the answer hmm. to that. Maybe, maybe you I, do. I guess I don't know either. I, I guess my, my instinct as an educator is to normally say work on the things that you're not good at. But then right. that you go goes back to the the thing of if you're not really having a great time, like you don't want to feel bad all the time, you know? Because <laughs> right. then you're just like, well, this sucks. There's nothing fun yeah. about this. Right. I should just quit, you know. Yeah. And it, and jazz is intimidating. There's it's really uh, oh man, it's a it's a high art form, you know. And we haven't not, even talked. We haven't even talked about performing. I mean, the whole aspect of performance, with which is the, the maybe the main thing, right? Yeah. It's like the, we've just been talking about the music, but man, performing is like most people don't even care about the music when they're listening. The people who are paying for you to play at you know a club or well, not a club necessarily, but a, a big concert hall, you know, they're just there for the prestige of the concert hall. So they want to see a show. And so what, what what do you do to bring the entertainment on when you're performing? <laughs> well, you know, well, I yeah. thought you were yeah. going to give me a good tip yeah. there or something. Right? Do you, yeah, like, do you, like I was leading up to something, right? Like I'm. Do you like get like up that. on top of the, the 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 you know the piano bench and play? Take off like, my shirt. <laughs> do you like play like with your hands behind your back or? <laughs> oh, I see what you mean. To like, yeah, get up. Well, you know, I haven't done that. Yeah, I haven't done that. All right. What have, what have I done? Um, I mean, the best thing is just to do it a lot, I guess. You know? <laughs> okay. <laughs> just, All right. Well, maybe I misread you there. All right. Um, well, I meditate. I meditate. I, I, I do relax before a performance. Oh, you I mean sure just like I... being – what do you mean? No, I, I don't. I, I meant what, what you were thinking, I think, which is like but on is it... stage, what do you do to put on a good show? Uh, okay, and then, yeah. And then you just thought that I meant like, well, oh, like before you go on stage to prepare yourself mentally to go on stage. I guess they're two different things. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, but that, that is, a, there, there's like, those are definitely two. So I, on, yeah. on one hand, I totally agree with you. Like I've been to like shows where like, it's just like amazing music, but like you were just really wanting them to even say something on the mic in between, like, which is such a simple thing you can do is just to acknowledge that the audience exists. Right. That, <laughs> right. But, but anyways, yeah, I know what you're saying. There's a difference between, there's some musicians that are fantastic, but they really don't, basically they don't have their marketing skills down very well, um, which right. is pretty typical. Um, right. But uh there's that side of it. And then there's the side of it of like when you're performing, 
it's the ultimate you're being put on the spot right so you have to it, it just feels different or like it, you mean you probably know the recording studio recording is like a whole oh, yeah. nother level of of pressure where mm-hmm. like you get so inside your head that you're just <laughs> like you know it's you don't even know it at the end of the session you're like i don't even know what just happened <laughs> right. i have to listen back to all this Black to see if any of it's worth yeah, <laughs> if any of it's worth keeping yeah. um yeah so all right well so uh is there any if there's anything else you want to you want to share with with everybody like something that's been <clears throat> powerful for you uh well one thing that i've been i've been discussing with a lot of my friends recently it seems to be a hot topic with uh with jazz musicians of of my age you know around maybe maybe 25 the kids to are 30 about these days <laughs> yeah <clears throat> out of college post-college kids and it's it's basically like what am i doing with my life bro like what am i supposed to be doing right now and like I don't know, you know, I, I love this music, but like I'm not getting called. It's been ten years, and I'm still playing like four gigs a month, you know, and stuff like that. And um, one, you know, one of the things that I've done because I've been traveling, you know, a lot, and um, and and maybe not putting as much time to performing as I'd like to. Traveling in, in a way of like vacationing or just like not staying in one place for so yeah. long. So I've I've kind of taken an entrepreneurial approach and. Right. You know, put my energy towards, you know, um, actually making benches. You know, I, I sell benches. I have a store on Etsy.com um, or, or whatever. But for me, that's what, what keeps me inspired and stays happy um, and keeps me happy. And I think people get a little burned out with um, practicing super hard all the time. Oh, yeah. And, and like stressing. You know, I think it's just stress, man. You know, I think people are just stressed out about what they're going to do and how they're going to make a living playing music. And this is my thing is that music is an art, especially jazz is an art form. And that if you're into it, it'll be there the whole, your whole life, you know, whether you play a gig or not and get paid to do it has nothing to do with your relationship with your art. And I think just remember that. And if you want to make money in a different way, that's okay. You know? And, And I think actually a little rest and activity is good for the music. I think it keeps you inspired and and creative. And if you're playing crappy gigs every single night, you know, and you're just getting dull, that actually may be detrimental, I think, to your art as opposed to just keeping yourself. It's all about internal, you know, feeling. Oh, yeah, fulfillment, yeah. Fulfillment, yeah. Yeah, I gave up on playing the crappy gigs sort of a couple years ago. Nah, Mm -hmm. let's be honest, like a year ago. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you know where i'm just like you know what i'm not gonna do that gig anymore because yeah. i've well first of all uh I, I work all day and then work all night so that's one thing that mm-hmm. so that that wasn't healthy so i had right. to do something about that but then yeah and exactly everything you're saying you know yeah. um but you know a lot of people in the audience right now can resonate you of course with you of course because you know what people, what, what many who listen, they really do this thing because they just, they love it. Like they come home from work and they just, they want to practice their sax. That's or their, it. Their piano. Yeah. They want to have fun. And that's what music is about. Mm-hmm. That is what the spirit of jazz is about is fun, expression, creativity, and fulfillment. That's what it is to me. It's not about um, an, a means to an end. It's it's right. It's about... Having fun, and sometimes that gets lost in translation, especially with jazz, because you know maybe maybe some of you are listening and you're like, uh, it sounds like Keelan and Brent used to practice like a ton. It sounds like you know Keelan did went to like three what three or four different schools. We're talking about here, you know, <laughs> like well, you know that sounds intense. Well, it doesn't have to be <laughs> intense, you know. It, do- it really no. doesn't. No, um, it can be simple and it can be fun. And, mm-hmm. you know, and it's all those things. So, Keelan, I want to thank you so much for being on the show today. This has been a fun conversation for me. I know insightful for everybody else. So much, uh, so much here. I always think story is massively important. Listening to other people's stories, if you want to become a better musician or anything in life. So I thank you so much for taking the time. Where can people go learn more about you? Uh, so I do have a website that people can go check out. It's That's just my it's just <laughs> my name.com. I think I started it like 8 years ago because everybody else was doing it. It was like the most superficial reason why I got but one. It's but, actually a really nice know, website though. Is it really? Thank you. I think it's nice and and, and everybody should go for, everybody should go to keelandimick.com yeah, just to listen first. to some of his music. 
because it's so good. Like, guys, it is. It's so good. What What was the tune I was just listening to before uh, this talk? Uh, Mulgrew, maybe. I'm looking it up right now. Intersight music. Uh, Mulgrew, yes. Mulgrew, yeah. That's Listen to that Mulgrew. I, it's a tune that I wrote maybe six months ago for um, the late great Mulgrew Miller. Yeah. Actually, I'm sorry. I wrote that a year and a half ago for a competition that lasted a year. So that's how I know it was a year and a half ago. Yeah. Awesome. Um, so yeah. so KeelanDimmick.com, right? Check it out. Awesome. Go to KeelanDimmick.com. Again, Keelan, thank you so much for being on the show today. Uh, of course, we're going to have you again on sometime in the future. Hopefully not that many episodes later. We'll have you sooner. So uh, cool. thanks again so much. Appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. Anytime. Thanks for having me. All right. Big thank you to Keelan one more time for coming on the show, for laying down the value today. Uh, That was awesome. I really appreciate him. What a great musician. Uh, Great to hear all about his story. Uh, KeelanDemick.com. Make sure you go check it out. And uh, hey, like I mentioned at the beginning of the show, uh, my Jazz Blues Accelerator course is, is now out. It is out in the world. And uh, if you were hanging out with me for Jazz Blues Month last month, you know all about Jazz Blues Accelerator. Powerhouse course. So excited about it. Uh, but to, to even get invited to that course, I do have my free Booster Jazz Blues Masterclass that you can sign up for. You just go to jazzbluesaccelerator.com. Sign up for that. It's just 40 minutes of nonstop value. So definitely check that out for sure. Uh, Lots of people are enrolling in the course right now, and I'm just so thankful, and I just feel blessed, and I'm just appreciative. Uh, Really excited for the transformation. And finally, I always ask this. Leave a rating and review on iTunes, Spotify, wherever you listen to your podcasts. Tell other people why you like this show. Really, it's just a free way to give back to the show and just help out. Uh, Really appreciate that. Thank you so much for doing that. Uh, We're going to have more great episodes coming up down the pipeline. Really excited about some of them. So stay tuned, make sure you're subscribed, and I'll see you next time. Cheers. Thanks for listening to the LJS Podcast, brought to you by LearnJazzStandards.com. Subscribe to the series on iTunes. And don't forget to join our jazz community at LearnJazzStandards.com forward slash newsletter. Hey, podcast listener, would you like to ask me a jazz question and get it answered here on the show? Then go to learnjazzstandards.com forward slash ask. That's learnjazzstandards.com forward slash ask. I look forward to hearing your question and answering it on a future podcast episode. Learnjazzstandards.com forward slash ask or find the link in today's show notes.